All right, what's up at the 12? We doing good today? You guys ready to land the plane on That's Crazy, part two? All right. Thank, one, one of you is excited, so that's all. that makes me feel good. Here's what we said last week. Um, I love this quote by John Acuff, that we gather as a church on Sunday, we live on Monday. And so we got to make sure that we're helping people where they live. And so I wanted to be painfully specific for two weeks around the subject that we're talking about. And I want to be really specific and really practical today because this is such a big deal. And this really is where we live on Monday. And so what we've been discussing is basically teaching us, teaching you how to do something that you think you already know how to do. And that sounds kind of offensive because I don't really know if you know how to do it or not. But statistically, in the United States of America, most people don't know how to do this. And the whole thing we've been talking about is how to be generous. And here's the thing is we are seduced sometimes into thinking, thanks, man, you're staying busy at the 12 o'clock. we, we think that we are generous because we give. Like every American writes a check, every American gives stuff away. All of us are moved by a need and we give toward a need. But giving is very different than actually being generous. And sometimes because we give, we're seduced into thinking that we're generous. And so what we've been talking about for two weeks is not really so much do, it's really about be. It is from the scriptures, how do we orient literally our lives around generosity? Now, if you didn't come to week one, you're like, oh crap, I should have waited and just joined in on the series next week. Here's what I said to everybody last week is you can just do what you generally do when I teach a series and not do any of it, all right? So you can chill. You don't need to be nervous. You can just walk away and go, that was kind of offensive. Not sure if I agree with that. I'm not going to do that. And, and that's fine. That's what you do in a lot of series. So d- relax. I'm not going to take an offering at the end. We don't take up an offering. And you can choose what you want to apply, all right? Deal? All right, just a deep breath. So here's what we said about generosity. Generosity supersedes random acts of giving. Generous people are far more strategic than I feel a need and I give toward it. And that's great. But generosity in a lifestyle that's oriented around it goes beyond that. It goes beyond cash flow. Like if I have money at the end of the month, then I'll be generous. It goes beyond amount. That in fact, in the scriptures, you find that amount doesn't really count. That when you look at a gift and go, man, that was so generous, At the end of the day, you don't really know if it was generous or not. You don't know unless you know the overall landscape of somebody's financial world. And true generosity supersedes income. So we have the idea of, man, if I could just get to this place, then I'd be generous. Or if I could just get to this income level. Or if I could just get to whatever you define rich as. But here's the reality. Rich people are rich. Generous people are generous. And there is no natural correlation. In fact, you can find poor people who are incredibly greedy and incredibly generous and middle class and rich people. That true generosity and a lifestyle oriented around it goes beyond, supersedes even income. And so here's what you know and you've experienced this is that that when truly you orient your life around generosity, you never have to really be inspired. Nobody has to show you pictures. You don't have to be moved by a video, though there's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to be guilted into anything. You don't have to be bribed around anything because, again, you have oriented and moved your life around this issue of generosity. And what I'm going to talk about today is you have planned to be generous, meaning you never have to feel guilty about saying no. Because you have planned to order your life around generosity. And here's the promise. When you choose to really be generous, you're going to save more, you're going to give more, and you're going to consume less. 
that you are going to actually enjoy what you consume even more. But you will give more, you'll save more, and you'll consume less. And then here's Jesus' promise, you will actually be happier. In Acts 20, 35, Jesus says, it's more blessed to give than receive. Some of you thought that was a fortune cookie and didn't know it was in the Bible. Jesus actually said that. That literally, not like a random act of giving, not spontaneous generosity, not when you write a check, but when you orient your life around generosity, that literally the Greek word is you are blessed, you are happier because of it. So what Jesus is inviting us into is that kind of life, where literally you move to a place where you plan to be generous and everything is ordered around that. And so you can take a step into that, or you can get on the crazy cycle that we talked about last week. And the crazy cycle that most Americans live on is we are hounded by worry and anxiety as it relates to money and as it relates to finances. We worry about, are we going to have enough? Are we going to be able to save enough? Are we going to pay for the wedding? Are we going to be able to get out of debt? Are we going to be able to get out of that lease? Are we going to be able to have enough for the future? And worry and anxiety consumes us, and so then we go to the mall, or you go to the boat show, or you go to the whatever, and we spend as much as we make, or we spend more than we make. And then we end up in crazy debt, meaning we walk out of a sales room or off a showroom floor, and literally, because of interest, the price on something goes up and the value goes down. And then we end up with no margin. And when you have no margin, you have something to worry about. And so then you spend as much or more than you make, and then you rack up debt and you have no margin. When you have no margin, you have something to worry about, and around and around it goes. And if I could add a couple words, we said this, worry is really worry about future consumption. So then we consume more than we afford, and then we rack up consumer debt, and then we have no margin for future consumption, so what do we worry about? We worry about future consumption, and then we consume more than we afford, we rack up consumer debt, and then we have no margin for future consumption, and then we worry some more. And here's the thing, this is what we said, is that we always think it's a money problem. Like, if I could just get a little bit more money, if I could just get that raise, if I could just hit that benchmark, and the reality is no amount of money is going to solve this because it's not a money issue. Everywhere you go, there you are. Your habits go with you. Generally, whatever you do at 21, you have this idea of when I get to this point, then I'm going to do things differently. No, you won't because everywhere you go, there you are. This isn't about more money. This is about self-control. This is about contentment. The contentment is an appetite. The more you feed an appetite, the more it grows. Because we have not learned to override this because we're living with a certain kind of mindset. Most of us are discontent because we have so much. And then it's a discipline issue. And here's what Jesus says. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can ignore this. But it's actually a spiritual issue. That your worry is not a money problem for 90% of you. Now, there may be the 10%, and all of you are going to try to climb into the 10%. You're probably not there. But for 90% of you, it's what Paul says. You have placed your hope in riches rather than in him who richly provides. It's a spiritual issue. It's a self-control issue. It's a contentment issue. And it's a discipline issue. And the idea that more money is going to solve that is just untrue. It just adds more zeros to everything in this cycle. And this, hence the name of the series, is crazy. This is nuts. This isn't even true. And we have the idea that we're going to solve this with more money. But the reality is you will never get enough money at one time to solve this problem because it is not about money. And it's crazy. And so Jesus says, I want to invite you into a different kind of crazy. And it is crazy. And nobody does it. And it's better than this. Here's the reality. 
generous people have learned to overcome what you could call the consumption assumption. The consumption assumption is if it comes to me, it's for me. If I get it, I'm going to spend it. If I acquire it, then I'm going to figure out how I want to consume it. But if it comes to me, it's for me. And truly generous people who take Jesus seriously have learned to move beyond and crush this assumption and this thinking that will change their entire life. That they get to a place to realize what Jesus says. I'm not an owner of anything. Ownership is a myth. And I'm not going to live as a consumer because that will only lead me into increasing discontent. Here's the bottom line. If you're ever going to crush this, if you're ever going to reorder your financial world, if you're ever going to really follow Jesus into this area of your life and get off the insanity cycle, then what you have to do is rethink, reorder, and reprioritize everything in your financial world, which just simply means this. You've got to begin to prioritize first what you normally prioritize last. If you're ever going to obliterate and crush the consumption assumption, because this is all about a way of thinking, then you have to first step learn to prioritize first what normally everybody in our culture prioritizes last. I said this last week, and it kind of seems like it's for shock value, and it's not. But for 90% of us, maybe you're in the 10, but you're probably not. For 90% of Americans, we feel financial pressure because we've never learned to be generous. And so here's the definition of generosity we started with last week. And I just want to dive in super, super specific. And then if it's offensive, you don't have to do anything with it, okay? Generosity, the predetermined specified, designated, I just made this up, it's wordy, but I have a reason for it, freeing, I love this word because this is literally what you're doing. You are setting yourself free in terms of the worry and anxiety that you're under and you're setting your financial assets free. So real quick, what does this mean? That if you're gonna orient your life around generosity, it starts with, I want to predetermine, meaning generous people have a plan. Generous people have a plan. Now, I know where some of you are coming from because you're like, ah, I'm not a planner. My wife's a planner. My husband's a planner. I'm not really a planner. I just kind of take things as they come. That's how I live life, but I'm not a planner. And I'll just, if I can just challenge that for a second, you do have a plan. You just maybe don't know what your plan is, which means, I love you, it's a bad plan. If you don't know what your plan is, you have a bad plan. I say it for this reason. If somebody were to stalk you and figure out kind of the, again, the landscape of your financial world and how you make decisions, here's what they'd find. They would find that you have financial habits. And then they would document and accumulate all of those and come to you and go, okay, here's kind of how you handle your finances. And you'd be like, oh, that is what I do. That is how I make decisions. That, that is like how I handle my financial world because you have financial habits. You have a plan. You just don't know what it is, which means it's a bad plan. Come on. When have you ever stumbled into or drifted into anything that's good? When do you drift in a good direction? The answer is never. Nobody wakes up and accidentally has a great marriage. Nobody wakes up and accidentally orients their priorities around the right things. Nobody accidentally like, creates the kind of environment they want to raise their kids. Nobody does. You never drift in a good direction. Anything that's good is intentional. So here's what I know, that if you don't have a plan, most likely you're living under the consumption assumption. And the good news is most people are, so you're in great company. But you have the idea that everything that comes to me is for me, which means you handle your financial world like this. I'm going to consume almost everything first. I'm going to save if I have the chance, and I'll give whatever's left over. 
I'm going to consume pretty much everything that I have. I'm going to save second. And some of you may be like in that place where you're fortunate enough to work hard enough. You have a company that takes it out for you. And then you've made the statement, which really is not, it's kind of an indictment on you of, have anybody ever said this? Don't raise your hand. If I don't see it, I won't spend it. If I don't see it, I won't spend it. That that means you have no self-control and no self-discipline. And so maybe somebody's taking it out for you, which that's awesome, but you're still living under the consumption assumption where pretty much my entire world is prioritized around, I'm going to consume everything first, I'm going to save if I have a chance, and then I'm going to give whatever is left over. Meaning you basically give like this, and I'm going old school alliteration. This, this is a shout out to my dad. You, you give spontaneously sporadically and sparingly. You give spontaneously, you feel a need, emotion rises, somebody shows a video, somebody needs to you know, do something. Okay, I'll, I'll write a check to that, I'll give to that. You give sporadically, it's here and there, it's when the emotion moves you, and you give sparingly. And here's the good news, this is great, we should do this. But this is pretty much what everybody does. But we are seduced into the illusion that we're generous and you're not generous spontaneous, sporadic, and sparing generosity where you write a check or give something away when you feel it or when your emotion is moved is not the definition of generosity. Generosity, as Jesus says, is a lifestyle. So you've got to predetermine. You've got to have a plan. And if you don't have a plan, it means it's a bad plan. The second thing is generosity is predetermined and it's also specified, which means this, that generosity... Generosity ultimately requires you to decide ahead of time how much. It means that you either pick a percentage or you pick an amount. And here's what I would say. Percentage is always better. And here's the reason. Because as you maybe are fortunate enough to see your income move forward, it means you get more and more generous over time. You're able to give more and more away over time. Now, here's the thing I know that freaks us out. Zeros freak us out. Like when you're like 22 years old and have a ghetto hoopty truck with an eight track in it and you're like, Jesus, I just surrender everything. I give you all that I've got. Jesus is like, well, you just keep it. You barely have anything, you know? Like it's easy at that level. But, but the thing that freaks us out is a hundred, I give 10 away. That's easy. A thousand, a hundred dollars. A 10,000, I'm going to give a thousand dollars away. 50,000, I'm going to give 5,000 away or whatever the percentage is, we start to get freaked out. But this is what truly generous people do because as their income rises, so does their generosity. They learn to be generous and they order their lifestyle around generosity. And so you need to decide ahead of time how much. And here's the other thing. Here's what generous people do. You don't need to do this, but I'm just so you know. They decide that they're going to give it before they consume it. They decide they're going to give it, again, this, I get it, this is crazy, they're going to give it before they consume it. Because here's, here's what Jesus says throughout the New Testament, that this is all about reordering and reprioritizing and rethinking how you see your stuff. And the only way to crush the consumption assumption and begin to reorient your life is by, again, prioritizing what normally people have last is first. And when you do that, when you are crazy enough to give first, it begins to change how you think. It begins to reorient. Basically, you give, you save, and you live on the rest. You give, you save, and then however you orient that, whatever percentages you pick, then you just know this is actually what we're living on rather than just finding that out by accident, which is what most Americans do. I'm going to give, I'm going to save second, and I'm going to live on the rest. Basically, you say it this way. 
I'm going to be a percentage priority progressive giver. I'm going to specify ahead of time, I'm going to give this percentage away. Because as I grow in terms of my income, I'm able to give more away, and I'm going to make it a priority. Everybody else generally in culture, they give last. I'm going to move it up, and I'm going to give first, because in this way, I'm going to crush the assumption consumption, and I'm going to reorder my financial world, and then I'm going to be progressive. For some of you, you've never done this before, so you just you pick a percentage. Three, seven, that's like a biblical number, so is 40. But I mean, three, seven, I'm going to start somewhere, and then as I move forward, I'm going to get progressive in terms of upping that if I can. Early on in our marriage, we just decided, because we've been taught this, this wasn't like, I don't even have a verse for this, but we're going to start at 10%, and then if we can, we're going to try to bump that up, because progressively, we want to live our lives to be more generous. When you order your lifestyle and your world around generosity, you become a percentage, it's going to go up. Priority, I'm going to give it first rather than last. And then ultimately, progressive. Generous people predetermine what's your plan. And then they specify how much, how often. Pick a percentage and then move it from what generally is last up to first. And it begins to reorder your financial world. And then last thing, and I want to read a couple of verses. The, the third word is this. Not only do you predetermine and specify, but you designate. And this is where it gets fun. If you're wondering if there's any fun in what we're talking about, this is it. Like this puts the fun in funding. This is where it gets awesome. That you pre-decide where you're going to be generous. See, here's the thing for some of you, whether you're online or whether you're in the house, is you have got overwhelmed by the fact that everybody's always asking for something. Everybody has a need, everybody has an ask, everybody an ask, everybody has a, hey, this is, this is what I want to, you know, this is what you should give toward. All of us have that. And so because you can't do everything, you've kind of, you've done nothing. Here's what you'll find about truly generous people who've ordered their life around this. They never feel guilty saying no. Oh yeah, I get that. I'm moved by the need. That video was amazing. No. And I don't need to feel guilty because I've planned my life around generosity and I've designated ahead of time where I'm going to be generous. Doesn't mean I don't leave margin to be spontaneously generous or moved by a need. You absolutely should do that. But I've designated how I'm going to be generous. And so I can say no to you and walk away and not feel any guilt because my life has been ordered around this principle. Here's what Jesus said. You've probably heard this verse before, that wherever your treasure is, your heart's gonna be there. Meaning, wherever your stuff goes, your money goes, your financial assets go, your heart goes there. Isn't it true? I mean, you get emotional about the weirdest stuff. You buy things and suddenly you have an emotional attachment to it. It's what Jesus is talking about. Where your stuff goes, your heart goes. But here's the other, this is the inverse of it, and this is so brilliant, it's why you should read Jesus' words in the New Testament, even if you're skeptical, go back, is that if you want to redirect your heart, just redirect your stuff. If you want to redirect, if you want to tell your heart what to do, don't pray about it, redirect your stuff. You, God, just do something in my heart. All right, write a check. I mean, this is, you don't need to pray about it. If you want your heart to be captured by different things, begin to reorient where you put it. And wherever you begin to redirect your stuff, you will redirect your heart. And then you'll never have to feel guilty about saying no, because you have planned and ordered your life around truly being generous. Not when you just feel it emotionally, not spontaneously, not sporadically, not sparingly. It is the rhythm of your life. You you could look at it this way. Saving is how you say yes to you. But generosity is how you say yes to what is important to you. 
Generosity is how you say yes to what is important to you. And I want to tell you in a second where I think you should give your money or how you determine where to be generous. But come on. Everybody has probably said at one time or another, oh, I wish I could be more generous in this area. And here's the the cold reality, and I love you. The reason you can is because you didn't plan to be. It's a self-control. It's a discipline. It's a debt problem. You've left no margin, and you've never planned to be generous. You just consume everything. You save if you can, and then you give whatever's left over. And Jesus says there's a better way, and not only will it be powerful in the lives of people around you, but it's going to reorient and reorder something in your heart. It's going to be better. So here's really, I think, how you should determine, what, what do I do? What am I supposed to be generous toward? Two words. Give from a grateful heart, give from a broken heart. Give from a grateful heart, give from a broken heart. What are you grateful for and what breaks your heart? What are you grateful for what are you broken over? What are you grateful for what are you broken over? This is why, and I have no problem saying this, this is why if you're grateful for your local church, you should give financially to your local church. If you're not at a local church that you're grateful for, maybe you're coming here and I really don't like this place, you should go find another local church that you are passionate about, where you are grateful for, where your kids are getting up going, man, I want to come to church, where you are maybe a longtime follower of Christ, but you found a place where you can simultaneously attend with your previously unchurched grandkids, where you can be at a place that is an alternative to what many people have experienced in terms of the Jesus thing. And you, you're all about seeing lives change, this being the safest place in the world for anybody struggling with anything, where it's known for the one thing Jesus said it should be known for, which is loving other people the way Jesus has loved us. And if there is welled up within you a gratitude for, I want to be a part of this, it's changed my life. Some of you would say, I wouldn't be in a church without this place. Then you should give toward that. You should give toward what you are grateful for. I would even go so far as to say this. If you have children who have grown and gone across the country and are attending a university or college and they have found a local church there, even if you took some of your money away from this place, you should go support whatever church they're attending. Because I'm telling you, if you have a 19-year-old across country with no parents around and they found a local church, you are winning at the game. And you, even if you've never been to that church, you should give toward that church because you're grateful for that church. It is impacting your 19 or 20-year-old in a significant way. What are you grateful for? What's making a difference? What does there need to be more of? And then here's the second thing. What are you broken over? This is our whole idea behind Serve Our City, which we're going to talk about more in a couple weeks. It's why we raise a bunch of money in the fall and we give every dollar of it away to go. We want to help the eight or ten partner organizations that we vetted. We literally have a liaison within our church that just works with those organizations to go, what are your needs like Valrico Elementary? What can we do? How can we support you? How can we give resources and money to you? And man, you should find organizations in the city that they're meeting a need that breaks your heart toward marginalized, toward feeding the poor, toward helping those who, uh, I mean, have help that's not coming from anywhere else. And our whole hope in Serve the City is that we would create a culture of generosity, that as people serve, which we encourage them to do all fall and then all throughout the year, as they do that, something would capture their heart. And whether it's a Christian organization or not, they would support it because it's helping the least of these. It's moving toward the marginalized. What, what are you grateful for? I think you should give to your local church if you're grateful for your local church. And then what are you broken over? I think that you should also find an organization in your city and you should support it. What are you grateful for? What are you ultimately 
broken over. And come on, what if the church just got this right? What if the church just did this? What would happen? What would take place in our cities and in our communities? So here's how I'd sum it up. That generous people don't feel guilty saying no because they've already decided to say yes. They have ahead of time, I'm going to predetermine how much, I'm going to specify, I'm going to pick a percentage, and I'm going to give what normally is last first, and then I'm going to designate, meaning I'm going to move toward what I'm grateful for and what my heart is broken over, and I may leave some margin to be spontaneously generous, but I can walk around and say no to that need, not because I don't think it's worthwhile or not because I'm not moved about it, but because I have already predecided and designated where I'm going to be generous. This is the lifestyle of a true truly generous person. It's not sporadic. It's not spontaneous. That's not generosity. It is, I'm going to plan to be generous, and my whole lifestyle is going to be centered around that. So Paul comes along real quick, and and Paul becomes the greatest church planner in history. He's a guy that tried to kill Christians and stomp out the first century movement known as the way that later became known as Christianity and finally believes that Jesus really did come, die for all of our sins, past, present, and future, walks out of a grave alive, and Jesus basically says to about 12 scrubs, hey, I want you to start a movement that's going to go to the world, and they're like, are you kidding? Do you know us? I mean, but that's exactly what happened, and then Paul became this church planner that took what started in Jerusalem, and he began to plant churches all around the Mediterranean rim. And in this, in Jerusalem, this movement got started and it goes to all these other places to talk about the hope found in Jesus. But back in Jerusalem, the initial Christians began to be persecuted. They began to be marginalized. Atrocities began to happen right in that city where it all went down. And so Paul is writing to all the churches he's planted in the Mediterranean about this whole issue of generosity and how we should handle money as it relates to the movement of God. And as he's writing, he writes to all these churches and says, hey, you guys are so grateful for what started in Jerusalem. And you're brokenhearted over what is happening to those people. And so I want you to give out of the fact that you have more than you need to those people in Jerusalem who don't have what they need. And so Paul writes to them 2,000 years ago, again, in case you think I'm making this up, and says, here's how I want you to handle the issue of generosity. Here's how I want you to handle money. And here's what I want you to do specifically as followers of Jesus who are part of this movement called the church. And here's what he says. He writes to Corinth, which was a city um, during that time, chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians. And in verse 1, he says this. Here's his letter to those people. Now, about the collection for the Lord's people, This is about the money thing. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. Basically what Paul's saying is, I've written letters to all the churches I've started, Galatia, Ephesus, Philistia, Rome, all of those churches, and I've told them all the same thing. So this is kind of how I have you know, um, instructed all of them to handle this issue of generosity. And then, verse 2, he basically is going to tell them, here's how you handle the money thing. Now, real quick, they have no checking accounts. There's no app. They can't give online. Basically, their savings is like a hole in the ground. So they'd have a couple hole, you know, college fund hole, you know, our, our living hole. They would get currency. Some of it would be coins cut in half. I mean, it was really crazy. And then they would basically dump it in their hole in their backyard. And so verse 2, here's what Paul instructs these churches to do. Here's how you keep and handle the whole money thing. On the first day of every week, so on Sunday, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money. So what? Yeah, on the first day, on Sunday, 
Each one of you on the first day should set aside a sum of money. So basically, here's what Paul's saying. You need, if you're a follower of Christ, you need to have a plan. Well, should we just wait till the Spirit moves? No, no, no. The Spirit can move the week before. I want you to have a plan. This is not waiting for the Spirit to move. The Spirit is not confined to emotional, like it's got to happen on a whim. The Spirit could actually be involved in you planning. The Spirit works in all those ways. Well, should I wait to see how good the communicator is and whether you made me laugh, or whether it was engaging? No, no, no. I want you to have a plan. When you gather on the first day of the week, I want you to predetermine and set aside a sum of money. I want you to specify. I want you to designate but I want you to have a plan. I want you to come into it already predetermining what you're going to do. That's what you do if you orient your life around generosity. And then they naturally ask the question, and we all ask this question, well, how much, Paul? Give us a number. Like, what, what do you want us to give? And here's what Paul says. On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money, and here's how much, in keeping with your income. Oh, Paul, you didn't hear us. How much? In keeping with your income. No, 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 no. I know you're a smart guy. You studied under Gamil, but you're not answering the question. How much in keeping with your income? A literal Greek translation, to whatever extent one has prospered. To whatever extent one has prospered. How much? To whatever extent one has prospered. What are you grateful for? What breaks your heart? What are you grateful? To what extent are you grateful? To what extent are you brokenhearted? To what extent are you grateful? And to what extent are you broken hearted. And Jesus is like, well, it's 40% in the Old Testament, but I'm not even suggesting that. Here's what Jesus knew. When you begin to be just consumed by the grace of the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done, and you order your life around what Jesus calls you to in the area of your finances, no percentage or amount needs to be given because you will begin to be driven by grace that says, I don't have to, but I get to. And to the extent that I've prospered and my heart is grateful and my heart is brokenhearted, I'm going to be generous. And I'm going to step outside the insanity cycle of I'm going to consume everything. I'm going to save if I get a chance and I'm going to give whatever is left over. Jesus is going, I'm inviting you in to something bigger and something better. And that's the New Testament order. There's no percentage and there's no amount. It is as you are consumed with the grace of Jesus and you move to a place where you order your life around what he's calling you to. And you ask the question, what am I grateful for? What am I brokenhearted over? He'll take care of the rest. And so Paul ends this way, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. This is incredible. Paul's like, I'm not taking an offering. And I'm not bringing a video with me. And I'm not going to try to inspire you. And I don't need to guilt you. And I'm not going to make up some ridiculous theology. Well, you give one, God's going to give you 10 back. Now, I'm not doing any of that. Because you have already predetermined, you have already specified, you've already designated, you've been saving up so that you're not going to give leftovers. And you guys are so ordered around generosity, we don't even have to take an offering. We have more than we need to support the churches in Galatia and Ephesus and give to the churches in Jerusalem who are lacking, who do not have what you have, because you have decided to predetermine, specify, and designate as an approach to giving because you're generous people. And generosity is not sporadic. It is not spontaneous. It is not sparing. It's a life and a lifestyle that's ordered around generosity. It's a completely different way of thinking. And so here's the bottom line, that, that as you move to be truly generous, you're going to move to a place 
where you are going to predetermine, next slide, meaning you're going to come up with a plan, and if you don't have one, it's a bad one. And then you're going to come to a place where you're going to specify how much and how often. You're going to pick a percentage, and then you're going to take what normally is last, and you're going to give it first, and it's crazy, and nobody else does it. But this is the way you begin to reorder your financial world. And then lastly, you designate. You decide ahead of time where. Where am I going to be generous? What am I grateful for? What am I broken over? What am I grateful for? What? What am I broken over? Generosity. Is the predetermined, I know this is wordy, but I like it. The predetermined, specified, designated, this is such a great word, freeing, freeing in terms of your inner world and freeing in terms of what God wants to do with your finances, freeing of personal financial assets. The easiest way to remember is this, that you move to a place where you give, you save, and you live on the rest. You give, you save, next slide, and you live on the rest. You do what few people are willing to do and you give first, what? You give first? That's crazy. What if you don't have enough? What if you can't consume? What if this? What if this? What if this? What if this? No, no, no. I'm going to give because this is an issue of trust. I'm going to save and I'm going to live on the rest. And here's the thing that Jesus promises at the end of the day. You will have peace. And here's the crazy thing. You may not believe me, but you should just talk to some people. People who are in their life around this have peace when they have a little. They have peace when they find themselves in the middle. And they have peace when they have a whole lot. Because no surprise, Jesus was right. And this is crazy. Nobody does this and nobody's going to help you in culture. Nobody, what you give for, you live on 75, 80% of your income. Are you insane? I, I like, I, I don't even get that. No, no, yeah, yeah. I give first because I am reordering and pre-prioritizing my financial world. And here's what I know. When I give first, it crushes the consumption assumption. And then I end up saving. I'm more responsible and I enjoy more what I'm consuming because I have made and manufactured a life around generosity. And I have peace. And I'm not waiting for another dollar or another promotion or another move up the ladder in order to get that peace. I have that peace now because I've learned not to live my life like a consumer. Because come on, this is what we said last week. That's a lie. That's a myth. If it can be taken away, you never really owned it anyway. If it can be taken away, why would you miss the opportunity to give it away? Not because you're not going to consume. Consume. Enjoy like look at the incredible gifts that God's placed in your hand, but you're going to enjoy it more when you order your life around what Jesus has said in the area of your finances and you get off the crazy train that's not even true. More money is not going to solve your problems and take away your worry. When you begin to step into what Jesus has said and move into a different kind of crazy, you're going to experience peace because you're going to match up with reality. If I can't direct where it ultimately goes, I never owned it. I'm just a manager. And I'm just telling you, generosity is the off-ramp. Generosity is the off-ramp from the cultural crazy that most of us are experiencing. One last story, and just like last week, I'm hesitant to tell this story, but at the end of the day, I don't really care because I just, I, I, want, I just want you to think about this. Early on in our marriage, my wife and I decided this is what we were going to do, and part of it was not 
out of some big spiritual thing. That kind of came later. It was just more out of this is what we had been taught. And when I met my wife, and I, I don't, I'm not a big social media shout-out guy. I don't like to be over the top. But my, my wife is the most loving individual that I've ever met in my life. Almost, and again, not to be over the top. I don't know there's a week that goes by where I don't just thank God that my kids get to be exposed to that. The, mo- the most unpretentious woman I've ever met, which kind of throws people off because she's so honest and most people are not that honest. That it's like, what, what is wrong with you? But I just loves people ferociously. There's been so many times we've had church at the public's checkout line or in the middle of Walmart or at a park somewhere. And I'm the pastor, but I get uncomfortable with that. But in like a few moments, it's like just because of this gift God's given her and the way that she loves people of all races and backgrounds, this is absolutely, where in 30 seconds, they'll start sharing their life story. And there we are praying with them somewhere. And I'm like, I'm uncomfortable with this, but this is amazing. And early on in in our marriage, I, I remember specifically, we got involved with um, a girl who was going through an incredibly difficult time. She had had a terrible upbringing, terrible upbringing. Found herself as a single mom. Um, everything was against her. She was getting no help from anybody. And I remember we got involved in her life, and it was rocky and hard. I'll never forget. Um, she was struggling with addiction. She had so much that she was carrying. One night I got a phone call, I think right after we had been married, and I, I met her at a coffee shop. She had just been busted for drugs and got bailed out. And there were several times along the way we were like, man, what are we doing? Why are we even involved? Is this ever going to change? You know, all those thoughts that you have. And over time, God just began to work in her heart and life in an incredible way. And she began to experience freedom from addiction and just really follow Jesus with her life. And it was absolutely incredible. But there was still a ton of obstacles. She was still a single mom, had nothing, was trying to be responsible, but just had so much against her. And I'll never forget, I think it was a couch or something that we had been saving up for and, and decided, man, we're not going to spend if we don't have it. So if we don't have cash, then we can't afford it. And anytime my wife does anything, it's a safari um, all over the world to find exactly what she wants, if you know what I'm talking about. And so um, I, we, anyway, we had determined this is what we were going to do. And I'll never forget, like right before that time, this, um, this girl just being in incredible need and my wife coming to me to go, I don't, I don't know how we can go forward with this and purchase this when it's almost the exact amount of money that she needs. And it was one of those things where she wasn't being irresponsible. It wasn't just a handout. It was she is in a desperate situation. And she has nobody to help. And I'll never forget her just saying, I, I want to take what we're going to purchase this day, and I, I give it away. I, I just feel like we need to give it to her. And I tell all of that, even though I'm uncomfortable with the story, to just go, when you begin to order your life around generosity, you begin to see everything different. And it's not that you don't consume. It's not you don't enjoy the gifts God's given. It's not that you shouldn't buy a couch, buy a couch. But you begin to see everything differently where just because it comes to you doesn't necessarily mean it's for you. Just because you get it doesn't mean it's yours to consume. And you begin to see all of your stuff and all of your money and all of your resources through a different lens and a different light of we are simply stewards. We are simply managers. We do not own this because if it can be taken away, we never really owned it anyway. And you start to view all of your stuff through a different lens. And I say all of that to say whether you misunderstand me or not, I want you to live that way. I want you to come to a place where you're going to give money away. Just about every American gives money away. That doesn't mean you're generous. And we are seduced into the lie that spontaneous, sporadic, sparing giving is actually generosity, and it's not. And I want to invite you into what Jesus invites you into, that when you take this on and when you step into this different kind of crazy, it reorders your life, and there is nothing better 
than living this way. Because not only will God do something in you, he's going to do something through you, and you're going to experience peace. But as long as you're living under the consumption assumption, you will always have another carrot to chase, you will always be empty, and you will always be wanting more. And it doesn't matter what level of income or how many promotions you get, because it's not a money issue. It's a self-control, contentment, discipline, Jesus says, spiritual issue. And so in his words, happier is the person who orders their life around giving rather than receiving. And can I just say this, and I'm going to get ready to close. Can you imagine if every Christian did this? Can you imagine if every Jesus follower took this seriously? Here's what I know would happen. Something would happen in your heart. And here's what I also know, you'll begin to live more responsibly, and I'll tell you why, because you will hate debt, because it will keep you from putting your money where your heart is. You will begin to live more responsibly. It's why Jesus is brilliant, to quote Craig Rochelle, just to steal a line from him, come on, if you want what everybody else has, do what everybody else does. Come on, can we just ask this question, is it really working I mean, the level of anxiety and worry that we are driving ourselves into over money, could it be that Jesus knows something? If you want what everybody else has, do what everybody else does. If you want what few people have, do what few people are willing to do. Jesus calls it the narrow way, not just in terms of salvation, but every area of your life. You handle sex like Jesus, you're going to look weird. You handle money like Jesus, you're going to look crazy. If you prioritize your time and parenting like Jesus, you're going to look a little crazy, but it's better. It's a better crazy. Jesus knows what he's asking you to step into because he designed you. And when you follow him in this area, stuff happens. So what if you just did, what if every Jesus follower did that? Can you imagine? Can you imagine what would happen with the church of Jesus Christ? Here's what I'll tell you what would happen. The face and the reputation of the church would change. And we would shout through everything that we do. We want something for you. We don't want something from you. It's the reason that we don't, seriously, if I can just, we, it's the reason we don't take up an offering, and we know that hurts the bottom line, but at the end of the day, that's not our primary concern. We don't want any barrier to get in the way of people coming in and us being able to tell them, we want, and Jesus wants something for you rather than something from you. And I'm telling you, Jesus will take care of the rest, but this practical side, here's what I know. Jesus continues to open doors for us that we can't walk through. He continues to give opportunities to expand. We could plant more churches. There's no doubt we could reach more people. There are more people that could move from darkness to light, from lost to found. And the thing that is keeping more people from experiencing what God is doing through you is simply financial resources. That literally more eternities could be changed if more Jesus followers really got on board with this and said, I want to give toward what I'm grateful for and I want to give toward what my heart is broken over. Listen, if the several thousand who attend our campuses on a monthly basis would all begin to do this toward our partner organizations, whether they're Christian organizations or not, I can tell you for a fact, it would move the needle forward for those organizations. It would make a massive impact for the hungry, for the hurting, and for the marginalized. Can you imagine if all of us began to prioritize to give away what we're grateful for and what we're brokenhearted over? It would change the face and the reputation of the church, and it would turn our community upside down. And I think that's what Jesus wanted. Because the most powerful expression of love is through no strings attached, unbridled generosity. It has the power to change your family, your home, 
our city, our community, our church has the power to do something immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine if we would just begin to follow Jesus in this area. Can you imagine if the church outgave everybody else? And maybe one day, maybe one day, Somebody will come to the edge of your little world and your little family and get a little picture into what you do that, how crazy, how nuts, how countercultural. But maybe they'll come to the edge of the way you handle your life, your lifestyle, and your money. And even though they don't believe what you believe, even though they think you're a little crazy, even though they think you're a little naive, even though they have questions about faith, maybe they'll come to the edge of your life and ask the question, why? Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave. God is the picture of irrational generosity. And because he's been irrationally generous to me, I want to be irrationally generous to people around me. God so loved the world that he gave. He has given everything to me with no strings attached. And I want to experience what it's like to match up with the heart of my heavenly father. But even more than that, I want God to use me and to even use my stuff to introduce as many people as possible to that kind of irrational generosity that says only through faith and trust you can have your past rearranged, you can have a new future, you can have a purpose, you can have what Jesus describes as life to the full, you can have forgiveness, you can have value regardless of what culture tells you or what voices you heard when you were 10 years old and you are invited to be a son and daughter of God and I am going to leverage everything in my life for as many people as possible to encounter that message. God so loved the world that he gave. Can you imagine what would happen? I dare you. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your irrational ridiculous, no strings attached to generosity toward us. And Lord, may we not forget or somehow, Lord, be confused into realizing that it really does all start there. That every area of our life where you're inviting us in to trust you, it really starts and stops with a gospel foundation, a good news foundation that recognizes the heart the compulsion, the urge, the motivation to do any of this is because of what you've done for us. And so, Lord, I just pray, maybe if nothing else, that maybe we just start there today to be reminded for the first time in a long time of your incredible, incredible, crazy generosity toward us, that we have been invited into the family of God. We have been changed. We've been forgiven. Our past is secure. We have a new purpose and a new hope. That is unbelievable because we know us. And Lord, I pray that around this issue that is so emotional to us, and we understand why it's emotional. You talk about this in the New Testament because it's the one area we are most seduced into trying to find security and trying to find worth and trying to kind of build high towers that are going to protect us against all eventualities, even though it's a myth. And so when we talk about it, there's a natural emotion that's attached with it that's not attached to anything else. I just pray you'd cut through that. You'd help us to see the lies that we'd come to a place to realize what is just true. It just is. And that is we are managers. We are not owners. And God, we have been created to be more than consumers. And so God, begin to work in the areas where you want us not just to do something, you want us to begin to be something, ultimately something you created us to do. And God, I pray that one day 
in our own individual lives, we would experience peace that is beyond what people to our right and left are experiencing. And it's not because of more money. It's because we've begun to reorder and orient our life around what you're calling us into. And, and then at a bigger picture, God, I pray eventually as we plant churches all over Hillsborough County and beyond, which we believe without a doubt is going to happen through this movement and through Centerpoint, we would be known as the most irrationally generous people that anybody's ever encountered. And not for the name on our sign, but ultimately for the fame and the renown of the one we serve, Jesus. So God, do your thing in our hearts. Give us the courage to do and know what to do, what you're calling us to. And we ask all of this in your incredible name. Amen.